Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and on today's episode, we are going to wrap up our investigation into two of our suspects, Leonard Mosley and Angela Walker, as far as their involvement in the murder of Elnora Griffin. As a disclaimer before we begin this episode, as I just stated, we are going to summarize their involvement as possible suspects into the murder. I am not accusing either one of these two people of being the actual murderer. I do not know who killed Elnora at this point. The purpose of today's episode is to add in all the new information that we received from the Smith County Open Records request and cross-reference that with everything that we already had and determine what we do know and what we don't know about Leonard and Angela. After today's episode, we're going to move on to another topic. Hidden within these 5,000 pages of new documents that we've received and the new crime scene photos, we have a lot more to talk about. But as for today's show, we're going to begin segment one by breaking down Leonard Mosley's interview with Tim Lowndes of ISIS, the defense investigators. Like I've mentioned in previous episodes, we know that Tim Lowndes actually interviewed Leonard Mosley on three occasions, once in March, once in April, and once in May in 1994. The only interview that we have access to as far as the recording and the transcripts was the second interview in April of 1994, and that's what we'll be discussing today. Also, I know that there are several of you that are going to want to hear this interview for yourself. Unfortunately, the sound quality is so bad, it would be a horrible listen for me to put it into the episode. But for those of you that want to tough through it, what I'm going to do is at the end of this episode, After the closing credits, I'm going to drop in the recorded interview with Mosley and Lowndes. If you don't want to suffer through the terrible sound quality, you can just read the transcripts or just listen to this episode. And after the closing credits, you can shut this off. There'll be nothing more from me after the credits. It will only be the recorded interview. But if you do want to hear it, feel free to keep listening after the credits. On April 29, 1994, Tim Lowndes knocked on Leonard Mosley's door for the second time. It's obvious when you read this interview that Leonard and Lowndes had spoken before. Lowndes has given Leonard some information, or Leonard has given Lowndes some information prior to this. We know from Lowndes' testimony at trial that in one of the interviews, Leonard was describing details from the crime scene that Lowndes said that he shouldn't know. 
And you see here on page three that one of these things is brought up, but we don't know whether Lowndes had previously told Leonard about this or if Leonard had told Lowndes about it. I actually believe that this is something that Lowndes had already told Leonard about. Here on page three, Tim is explaining to Leonard why he's investigating the case. It's pretty obvious, and Lowndes clearly states that he does not think that Ed did this. In fact, on page three, Lowndes says, I still think that while he may have been there, I don't think he did it. And right after that, Mosley says, you don't know exactly where the scratch marks, question mark. So it seems like this was in reference to a previous conversation. It does answer the question for us as to how Angela would have known about the scratch marks. Leonard obviously knows about them here. And given that that was his response to Lowndes saying that he doesn't believe that Ed did it, I'm assuming that in their first interview, Lowndes must have pointed out to him that there were scratch marks on Elnora's back, and therefore he thought a female did it and not Ed. They go on for a little while to talk about the scratch marks. Lowndes is pointing out that she couldn't have scratched herself in that manner because of the angle of the scratches. And on page four, Lowndes says, that's why I think a woman had to be involved. And I'll say that I agree with Tim Lowndes' take here. I don't think there's any question that those are fingernail scratch marks in the middle of Elnora's back. But then Mosley responds to that and says, Well, see, I the reason why I think so is because I know this woman, you know, and she had been calling, you know, so... Now remember back to Mosley's interview with Dale Huckel a few days after the murder. The reference there seemed to be that Leonard's ex-wife was calling Elnora. Remember, Huckel was making reference to the harassing phone calls regarding Angela, and Leonard said, no, that's my ex-wife. Angela's not my ex-wife. Lounge goes on to say that he had tried to contact Kubia and ask her about the phone calls. He says, I did ask her if she knew of any phone calls, and she said that if she was getting them, that Elnora hadn't told her. As the interview goes on, Leonard seems to be doing about the same thing he was doing with me when I was speaking to him. He's letting Lounge know that he's an open book, and then he's doing something that my kids tend to do a lot. When they're trying to make me believe something, they'll usually try to confirm their story by telling me that someone else had said it. Let me give an example of what I'm talking about. I'll start here at the bottom of page four. Tim Lowndes says, Oh, definitely. I fully expect that even though I represent the defendant, I fully expect that they want to make sure that the murderer is not walking out free. Mosley says, I mean, it's not like you're trying to get him off. Lowndes says, I'm trying to see what the evidence shows, and to me, the evidence doesn't add up. Mosley said, yeah, see, a lot of people think, you know, they say, well, he's working for a a defendant's attorney. Lowndes says, I do. In all honesty, I do. Mosley says, I know, but see, when they say that, they say, well, he's just trying to get him off. You know, I say, no, no, no. He's not trying to get him off. He's just trying to find out what the deal is. Lowndes says, I want to find the truth. And Mosley says, and if somebody else involved, get them too. That's how I see it. As it goes on, Lowndes repeats again. It doesn't add up to me that Edward did it, at least not by himself. And Mosley says, I don't know, you know, I've always thought that, you know, it was that his mom's involved too. I feel she's the one that did the planning. Lowndes then asks Mosley if anything was discovered missing. Leonard says, no, there wasn't. And then Leonard goes on to say, wasn't nothing missing but her car keys. Inaudible. They never found her car keys. They went out there and inaudible. And I believe he's talking about them searching the pond there based on Lowndes' response to that. Mosley goes on to say that he believes that somebody was driving her car. He says she never pulled her car that far back behind the house. She would put it up on the concrete in Audible. When I was coming from Tyler, I could always see her car before I turned off. Now, I'm a little curious here to figure out how did Leonard know exactly what wasn't taken and that her car keys were. There's no evidence of Huckel telling him that during the interview. 
From the way things sounded, Elnora's family was suspecting Leonard. Maybe they told him, I just don't know. That's one of the reasons why I've been dying to get a hold of Elnora's family. They can answer a lot of these questions for us. And as I mentioned in the Friday follow-up episode, listener Adam Lewis was able to track down several members of her family. I haven't been able to get in contact with them yet, but I'm confident that I will be able to soon. I have a few more options left. But as the interview goes on, and I'm at the bottom of page 5 now if you're following along on the website, it looks like Lowndes is asking Leonard if he had driven by Elnora's house the night her body was found. It says inaudible at the beginning of his sentence, so I don't know for sure. But Leonard was talking about how whenever he drove by, he could see her car. Lowndes says inaudible, by there when all this was going on. Leonard says, no, I went up there and uh, that night, my brother, Lowndes comes in, that Friday night when they found her. And then in this next paragraph, Leonard seems to change his thought right in the middle of his paragraph. He says, my brother was home from Tyler, inaudible, and he woke me up and told me and I got back up. As soon as I, what I'll do, I'll find her sister and I call her and I'll talk to her about you and I'll tell her who you are and what you're doing, stuff like that, because all they want, inaudible. So as you can see, Mosley interrupts himself here, right in the middle of his sentence. He was in the middle of describing how he found out something had happened and when he went up there the night Elnora's body was found, and then mid-sentence he flips over to telling Lowndes that he's going to help him get a hold of the family members. You, of course, can decide for yourself, but to me, it seems like a very obvious subject change. It seems like Leonard did not want to talk about that night. Then in the middle of page six, we finally find the answer to the question that we've all been wondering about since I interviewed Leonard this summer. This was the sound clip that was really hard to hear at the end of last week's episode. Remember, when I talked to Leonard, he told me on six different times that Elnora had been choked to death. And when I finally told him that her throat had been slit, he said, see, I didn't even know that. That's the first I've ever heard of her throat being slit. Well, we now know that that was an absolute lie. I think that we had all kind of already figured that out, but we didn't have any real evidence. We knew that all the newspaper reporting said that her throat had been slit. We knew that all the other people surrounding the case knew that her throat had been slit. It seemed almost impossible that Leonard couldn't have known this. And as it turns out, that's true. So on page six, Mosley says, inaudible, she should be inaudible. Lowndes says, nobody should be killed like that. Mosley says, we don't have any control over anybody's death, but you just don't inaudible. Lowndes says, a car accident you can kind of accept, but this is different. Mosley says, you know, but just go and just kill somebody. Just cut somebody's throat inaudible for no reason. For what reason? I can't even inaudible. And uh, she wasn't raped, right? Now keep in mind here, and we'll discuss this in further detail in segment two, but the only question that Leonard kept asking Huckel when he was being interviewed by the sheriff's department was whether there was any evidence that she had had sex or she'd been raped. He kept asking if there was semen found on the scene and whether they had found fingerprints on her body. And again here, several months later when he's interviewing with Lowndes, he's asking him if she had been raped. Lowndes says no, wasn't raped. Mosley says she, inaudible, wasn't any evidence of uh, uh, Edward's semen in her or in... Lowndes says, nope, none whatsoever. And then if you listen at the end, you'll hear it, but you can even read the stuttering here. So so, so she hadn't had sexual inter, inter, intercourse, period? There's a very noticeable difference here between this statement and other statements where Leonard seems much more confident. But again, he's asking if there's any evidence that she had intercourse. Lowndes says, nope. Lowndes goes on to tell him that there's no forced entry, so it had to be someone that she would trust. 
Leonard goes on to say that he just doesn't buy the fact that Elnora would let Edward in by himself at night. He said if Edward had been by himself, she would have told him, well, I'm here by myself, you come back tomorrow. Lowndes says, her being undressed, that still confuses me, I don't understand that. And Mosley says, yeah, it's just strange. As the interview goes on, on page 9, they're discussing the fact that there's not really a motive. And then in the middle of the page, Leonard says, I blame myself a lot, though. Lowndes says, why is that? He says, because she, she had cooked, because she was expecting me to come by. But like I say, I forgot my clothes. Inaudible. If I had went, see, I get off at 11. I would have made it there by about 12. Inaudible. She called me at 11. Inaudible. Knowing. Inaudible. Now, as an aside here, when Leonard interviewed with Huckel, he had said that it was actually Elnora's daughter-in-law that called her around 11 o'clock. But here he's saying that she called him at 11. Lowndes says, see, that's another point. I don't think Edward did it, especially after talking to you, because they know where Edward was after 11. They know for a fact where Edward was after 11. There's no question about it. Leonard's next line is inaudible. Lowndes says, "Uh uh-huh. Leonard's next line is inaudible again. And when you listen to the recording, you'll hear he's just mumbling. I think the first one he says, oh, really? But it's really hard to hear. Lowndes says, no, they know for a fact that he was in Tyler at a little bit after 11. There was two people there that said he was there at their house, and they've got nothing to do with any of this. Mosley says, oh, really? Lowndes says, that's, you know, especially after talking to you the last time. I thought, if she was alive at 11, then they got the wrong guy, and the right person is still out here free. But then Mosley changes his story. He says, yeah, her, her, that's what her daughter-in-law said, because, see, they came by there Friday, you know, and I was talking to them and stuff, and that's what she said. She said, I called her at 11 and talked to her because they were talking to her about coming down, you know, the next day or Friday. Now, that whole statement was BS, too, because we know that Elnora's family was not coming down to see her that Friday or Saturday. They had been down the weekend before. Both Johnny and Kubia stated that Elnora was planning to go to Dallas to see them that Friday or Saturday. And then Mosley ends that paragraph with, and if I had went by there, I could have saved her or I'd got killed or something, too. Lowndes says, no, I mean, it's not your fault. It's just, I know what you're saying. You feel responsible. Mosley says, you know, if you, you know, I go by there every Thursday, and uh, I go by, and then this happened, inaudible. Went by there early enough to come and get some clothes, but you know, you can't, inaudible. That's in God's hands. You don't know how we're going to die or what we're, what God know, and it's in his hands. When your number come up, you're going to die. It doesn't make a difference how you, inaudible, if I had done this. Lowndes says, yeah, well, I imagine that even a hundred times more. I'm not sure what he meant by that. Then Mosley's next sentence kind of stunned me. Mosley says, yeah, you know, it was just her time. Her number came up. Inaudible. That's basically the end of the real context of this interview. It goes on for a couple more pages, but they're basically just exchanging phone numbers, and Leonard's helping Lowndes get some contact information for Elnora's family. The big takeaway from this interview, to me, was finally having confirmation that Leonard did indeed absolutely know Elnora's cause of death. And now that we have this interview, and Huckel's interview with Leonard, and the first trial transcripts, we now have a lot of information to cross-reference, and we can get a much clearer picture of what was going on with Leonard, Angela, and Elnora at the time of Elnora's murder. And we'll be breaking all of that down right after the break. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In this segment, we're going to summarize everything that we actually know about Angela Walker and Leonard Mosley. Let's start out with why we don't know much about Mosley. At the first trial, Ed's attorneys were relentless. They were really fighting for Ed. It was like two completely different people than they were in the second trial. But in that first trial, Dobbs had recalled Dale Huckel during the rebuttal phase, and in cross, McLean really got into his ass. What we find from this section of the transcript, and it'll be posted up on the website, is that Huckel, the lead investigator in the case, had no idea that Leonard Mosley went to Elnora's on Thursday nights. He had no idea that Mosley was planning to go over there the night she was killed, and he had no idea what his excuse was for not going that night. I found this to be shocking, so I went back and reread the interview transcript from Huckel's interview with Mosley. And sure enough, Huckel was so busy telling Leonard that he didn't think that he did it that his usual Thursday visits never came up in the conversation. Also in this section of the transcript, McLean calls into question Huckel's previous testimony about confirming Mosley's work records. McLean asks Huckel if he ever went to Tyler Pipe to verify Leonard's story. Huckel says no, but he called. McLean then confronts him with his report on the case, which, by the way, the lead investigator in this murder case only wrote a four-and-a-half-page report on the investigation. McLean asks Huckel why he didn't document the call in his report. He points out that he made sure to document every detail about Ed, statements that, as we discussed a few weeks ago, we now know to be lies, and he documents his call to Angela Walker where he says that Angela confirmed Leonard's alibi, which she actually didn't. The takeaway is that there's no proof that Huckel actually called Tyler Pipe to confirm Mosley's story. We have to take Huckel's word for it, and as we already know, Huckel is not above straight-out lying in his reports. We have proof of that, i.e. the knife story. When we couple that with the fact that the timesheets obtained by the prosecution before trial had inconsistencies, the whole situation becomes extremely disturbing. Remember that on Mosley's timesheet, that Huckel never bothered to pursue, it says that he worked 50 hours that week, but was paid 40 hours straight time and 13 hours overtime. There were two other individuals on that timesheet that worked the exact same hours and were paid 40 hours of straight time and 10 hours of overtime. It's really too bad Huckel didn't do his job. Because if he had, we wouldn't be in this situation. If Mosley is innocent, and Huckel had actually followed up on all the leads relevant to him, we wouldn't be sitting here 20 years later wondering if Leonard should be a suspect. If he had cared enough about the case and didn't have blinders on, maybe he would have checked Mosley for scratches and bruises four days after Elnora's body was found. Maybe he would have checked his shoes and his clothes. But instead we are left trying to piece together Leonard and Angela's statements to figure out what happened. So let's look at Angela for a minute. What do we know about her? She told me that Margie wanted Leonard, and I don't believe that for a minute. 
She told me that Margie poisoned her dog the night before the murder and called her and threatened her. She says that she called the police. There is no such police report on record, and in fact, Leonard told Huckel that that event actually occurred the day after the murder and had nothing to do with Margie. And she didn't call the police, she called his brother Michael. Angela testified at the first trial that she and Leonard had been dating since 1991, two years before the murder. Leonard has always maintained that they were just friends, and in my interview with him this summer, he said that he never dated her. She was just a one-night stand that resulted in a baby. Leonard has always maintained that he let Angela move back in with him because he was, quote, helping out a friend, while Angela says that he asked her to move back in because he was jealous that she was living with another man. Angela refers to Elnora as Leonard's, quote, side chick, while Leonard says he was engaged to Elnora. The relationship was great, and Angela was just a friend. Leonard does, however, tell Huckel and testify at trial that Angela knew about Elnora and was jealous. He even told Huckel that Angela had been calling and harassing Elnora. At trial, too, Leonard testified that he was sleeping in the same bed as Angela and having sex with her. But Angela herself is also full of inconsistencies. At trial one, she testified that she had no idea where Elnora lived. But at trial two, she tells Dobbs that on the night of the murder, she drove by Elnora's and saw Ed crouching behind her car. My question is, if she didn't know where she lived, what she drove, or what she looked like, how the hell did she drive by and see Ed by her car? The big question that I've always had with Angela is why does it sometimes seem like she's covering for Leonard, but other times it seems like she's throwing him under the bus? For example, she consistently says at both trials that he did not get home until 12.45 on the night of the murder. This directly conflicts with Leonard's story of getting home at 12.10. But then at trial one, she says that she knows for a fact that he does not go to Elnora's on Thursday nights. So in one case, it almost seems like she's protecting him, but in the other, she's throwing up red flags. Why? The answer lies in the first trial transcripts, and these transcripts will be up on the website. I don't mean to sound mean, but it appears that Angela really isn't all that bright. At best, she's confused. She does keep sticking to the 1245 story. However, her testimony in trial one reveals that she is under the impression that he always gets home at 1245. So when Angela says that he got home at 1245, it's clear that she believes that is the same as saying he got home at his normal time. Having that new information, we can summarize Angela like this. She never interviewed with Hugel. She spoke with him on the phone and scheduled a time to come in to do an interview. She says she missed the appointment and Huckel never followed up. The defense investigators tried to track her down all over Texas and were unable to make contact. The first we hear from her is at trial one. At trial one, she says that she and Leonard had been on again, off again for two years. And at the time of the murder, he had made a choice to leave Elnora and be with her. She says that he was not seeing Elnora and she doesn't know anything about Elnora or where she lives. She does say at trial one that she and Leonard talked about Elnora and he hadn't seen her, quote, like for days. She says that conversation happened the week of the murder. She says that Leonard came straight home after work on the night of the murder and he did not go to Elnora's. The only real conflict here with Leonard's story is the nature of his relationship with Angela, but really this is to be expected if he was lying about it. He wouldn't tell Angela that he had told police, investigators, and testified at trial that she was only a friend. Also, there is no way that she would know that he had said that, since she never met with Huckel or the investigators. As far as who is telling the truth about the relationship, I'm going to side with Angela on this one. I say that because even though Mosley claims he was just helping a friend out, he also testified that they were sleeping in the same bed and having sex. 
Background checks revealed that Angela had Leonard's address listed on her public documents in 1991 and 1992. Kubia testified at Trial 1 that Elnora broke off the engagement with Leonard because he was, quote, dating someone else. Huckel referenced in his interview with Mosley that Elnora's family told him that Elnora had told them that she had broken off with him for the same reason. The only person saying that everything was good with Elnora and Leonard and Angela were just friends was Leonard. So then we have to ask ourselves, why lie about that? Why does an innocent man so clearly lie about the status of his relationships if his relationships have nothing to do with Elnora's death? So let's continue on with what we know about Leonard Mosley. The big find this week wasn't something that Leonard said. It was something that he didn't say. Like I mentioned earlier, when Mosley was being interviewed by police just four days after Elnora's body was found, he failed to mention to them that he not only always went over to Elnora's house on Thursdays, but that he was supposed to go on that Thursday, and that she was expecting him. Even though Huckel is assuring him that he's not a suspect, and Gorman was fishing for information about this, Leonard kept it to himself. At one point, Gorman asked him if he ever goes to her house after work. He says he does. Gorman asks if she ever does something for him when he comes over. It appears to me that he's referencing the food on the stove. Leonard says she hugs and kisses him. He says that he wants to do everything that he can to help them solve the case, but leaves out the key detail about the fact that she was planning on him coming by that night. Even if he's innocent, that would still be a big help to investigators who were trying to figure out why the doors were unlocked and the light was on. But Leonard leaves that part out, even when they were fishing for it. He does, however, in both interviews that we have access to, ask a lot of questions about whether there is any evidence that Elnora had had sex. He asks about semen, fingerprints on the body, etc. My impression is that he wants to know what they know. I'm not clear when or how Huckel and the gang found out about the Thursday visit. Based on Gorman's question, I think it's reasonable to assume that someone at the crime scene had told them. We do know that by the time the trial rolled around, Leonard had perfected his reason for not following through with his plans to visit that night. He didn't have extra work clothes because he found out that morning he had to work on Friday. However, he changes his story three times as to exactly when he found that information out. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Some other inconsistencies include his story about his work hours on Friday. At Trial 1, he testifies that he went in at 7 a.m., then he later corrects that to 6 a.m. Angela says that he left at 7 a.m., but that doesn't fit because it takes around 30 minutes to get to Tyler Pipe from his house, so he would have had to leave much earlier than that. He also states at Trial 1 that he didn't get off work Friday until 11 p.m. It's a long day. And then we have the phone calls. In his interview with Huckel, he doesn't say anything about trying to call Elnora on Thursday. 
but he says that he tried to call Friday from work twice. He says he tried once at 10 minutes till 10 and once at 10 minutes after 10 p.m. For context, this would have been exactly when Waller and McKay were in the trailer processing the crime scene. Now, he has also told me that he went into work at 7 a.m. on Friday, but in this version, he told me that he got off work in the daylight hours around 3 p.m. In between these two statements, he testified at trial two that he worked 11.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. that Friday. It's also worth noting that Leonard explained to me that he didn't just go to Elnora's on Thursday nights. He started his visit on Thursdays because he was off Friday through Sunday. I find it odd that he was planning to go Thursday and wasn't able to because he had no clothes. Then why didn't he swing by on Friday when he got off? The bottom line is this. Angela and Leonard have both consistently held to the mutual alibi that the night Elnora was killed, he did not go to Elnora's and that he went straight home from work. But all of the events and details surrounding this story are inconsistent and ever-changing. Mosley asks a lot about semen and whether or not Elnora had had sex. There's a semen stain found on the comforter that matches his blood type. We know that there was most definitely friction between Leonard, Angela, and Elnora, and that Leonard was most definitely planning on going over there that night, and Elnora was most definitely expecting him. She was found fully nude with his meal on the stove, and the evidence suggests that she was wearing precisely the type of outfit that he described to Huckel, panties and a housecoat. And we now know that 23 years after the fact, when an independent journalist stopped by to talk to him, he went out of his way to intentionally pretend that he did not know how Elnora was killed. As far as Leonard and Angela go, for me, they continue to be my prime suspects. But for now, I'm moving on. Very soon, Allison will be filing motions for testing to be done on the evidence from this case, including a DNA test on the fingernail clipping from Elnora's left hand. The DPS report seems to indicate that Elnora most certainly got a piece of her killer during the struggle, and that killer's DNA lives on that clipping. But until then, I'm going to take a break from proving to you who did do it, and next week, with newly discovered evidence, I will prove to you once and for all who did not kill Elnora Griffin. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Mike Bussing. I want to thank Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. Opening music was To the Top by Score Squad. All other music was created by Shane Yoder. I want to thank our transcription team, Sarah Hoyt, Sarah Mueller, and Desiree Dunn for transcribing the episodes every week and mailing them out to Ed and Kenny. And I want to sincerely thank all of you for all of your help and support. Once again this week after the Friday follow-up episode, you all have continued to prove to me how strong the Truth and Justice Army really is. I'm recording this on Friday afternoon, and we already have a ton of leads on how to track down a 1989 Mercury Tracer hatchback four-door. This is a very difficult vehicle to find. It wasn't that popular back when it was new, and now being almost 30 years old, very few of them actually exist. But it's nothing that the listeners of this show can't handle, and I want to thank you for that and all of your other support. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Send in new cases to cases at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like the Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. 
I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Tim Lowndes. Sorry to come in so late on you. I yeah, actually got lost on the you, county road to dark. You come to town, right? Yeah, but I overshot it and ended up in uh, Gray County. <laughs> oh, I got in Gray County. I knew I'd... Yeah, I ended up going all the way to Gray County. You leave this way, right? Yeah, that's shorter, isn't it? Yeah, you know how to get back there with them. Go follow the road until it come to... Is it 757? Then I take a right? Oh. There's a 2767. Yeah. I just overshot where I was going. I thought, man, I know I've been here, but I couldn't find it. I was wondering if you found that. Okay. Um, I think I might have figured out her son's name. Do you know if it might be Charles Bassett? Does he live in DeSoto by chance? Uh, when you get into Dallas, I can't tell one town from the next. Well, see, we, we didn't, we, I go, I, I, I hit 20, and then, you know, I go with 80. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't yeah, yeah, we can go south. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay. So, yeah. I read, you know? Yeah. That Elnora's sister? Well, I don't know if they married. Or not, you know, because I think they're going to get married. Okay. Made that call? I'm going to Yeah. But, uh, man, I had a sister, but she gave me. Like, you know, I told her when I found out something, I was she found out something, she found out something. I was going to do it. Well, you've already got my number, so that's, that's okay. I think that uh, things are maybe moving towards a trial or something here in the next month. And my thoughts haven't changed. I, I still think that while he may have been there, I, I don't I don't think he did it. Uh, you don't know exactly where the trash was. Yeah, if I'd been thinking, I uh, the attorneys have the, the photos. But I had some photocopies of the photos. And if I've been thinking, I could have brought them. Uh, but in, 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 on the lower back. But I got her, oh, down here somewhere. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that she would be scratching her face. No, it was in the center, kind of going down towards her buttocks. And see, there's no way she uh-uh. No, it, it was like yeah, somebody right taking a, you know, it's just a, like that. There's a lot of... A lot of talk going on there, like, you know, she couldn't scratch herself, and I don't think, looking at the pictures, I don't, I don't, there's no way her I mean, hands well, can do that. Well, not only that, but her hand couldn't reach where the... Yeah, it didn't go down. Yeah, not, I mean, like this maybe, but it was like that. Yeah. So. It's, 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 it's
kind of why I think a woman had to be involved. Well, see, I, the reason why I think so, because I know this woman, you know, and she had been calling me, you know, so. Yeah, I did try to talk to Cubie, uh, and I, I told her, I, I said, I, I understand she was a good friend, I don't want to upset you, but it would help if I could talk to you. And she really didn't want to talk to me, but I did ask her if she knew of any phone calls. And she said that if she was getting them, that, Cubie, that Eleanor hadn't told her. I think she might have told the, that daughter-in-law. Well, it's not her. Yeah, see, I don't know who her daughter is. I know she lives in Alabama. Would it also have been Bassett, or is she remarried? No, she's she's married. Well, when you talk to one, this you can get that. Oh, they want no. You know, they want. Oh, definitely. I. I fully expect that, even though I represent the defendant, I fully expect that they want to make sure that murder's not walking out yeah. free. I mean, it's not like you trying to get him off. I'm trying to see what the evidence shows. Yeah. I and mean, to me, the not, evidence doesn't add up. You know, see, a lot of people think, you know, it's well, he worked for the defendant's attorney. Well, and I do. In all honesty, no, I, I do. Know, I know. See, when they say that, it's well, he's he just trying to get him off. You know, I said, no, 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 he's not trying to get him off. He's just trying to find out what the real deal is. I want to find the truth. Somebody else involved, get them too. That's what I see. You know, I'm, I'm looking for the truth. I, like I told you the first time, I don't manufacture anything. If it comes back that Edward did it and Edward was the only one involved, then that's who's going to pay for it. But. It doesn't add up to me that Edward did it, at least not by himself. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, 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 I've always thought, you know, you know that his mom was involved too. You know, I figured she didn't want to get planted. You know, if anything was ever discovered really missing, I mean, her TV was no, there. I'm, no, it wasn't. I mean, wasn't, it, it wasn't like a burglary. Well, nothing missing but a car. Her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read where they, they thoroughly checked that pond and they didn't yeah, find anything out there. What up to the keys, I don't know. But somebody, I figured somebody had been driving that car because she never pulled her car that far back behind the house. Mm-hmm. She would put it up on the concrete and it went up like across her tower. I could always see her car mm-hmm. before I turned off in there. Yeah, the way that, that that driveway ran, you could. Yeah, I could always see the back of a car. Mm-hmm. You could see, it's no, I mean, you couldn't even see the car. Not even coming from here. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even see it. It was way back there, almost off the country, real close to the house. She wouldn't shoot somebody else. Out by there when all this was going on? I went out there that night. My brother. That Friday night when they found her?
Somebody that she would trust.
Yeah. If you wouldn't mind, now I'm going to be. Do you know her last name? Sure. I get her number. If she tell me not, not, you know, if she tell me she don't want to talk to you, she's going to be. I understand. I can't give you her number. Well, and, and like I told you, I'm not going to push anybody. I, I'm out to find out the truth. I and I kind of feel like the family wants to know the truth, too. I feel like the serial, you know, I feel like the she would want to talk to you. So she would upset, but she want to know, you know, she want to know, man. She, 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 she would look like herself, man. Yeah. Look at this picture, man. It looks like a little parasite. Mm -hmm. It just crashed. And I, I, I told her, yeah, I have your last memory being something a little different. Mm -hmm. No one, you know, to you know, they said, to a man. See, that's another 
why I don't think Edward did it, especially after talking to you. Because they know where Edward was after 11. They know for a fact where Edward was after 11. There's no question about it. Uh-uh. No? They know for a fact he was in Tyler at, at a little bit after 11. There was two people that said he was there at their house. And they've got nothing to do with any of this. That's, you know, especially after talking to the last time, I thought, if she was alive at 11, then they got the wrong guy and the, the right person is still out here free. Yeah, her, her, her. Now, that's, that's what her daughter going to say. Because, see, they came out there Friday, mm -hmm. you know, and then I, 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 I was talking to them and stuff, you know, and that's what she said. When I, she said, I called her at 11, It's your fault. It is. I know what you're saying. Keep you responsible. You know, like I go by the Avery Saturday morning, they come straight to Dallas. 
Was it a local company that took her to Dallas? Or? No, uh, the funeral home that took care of they come down. Okay. Yeah, they came down. You had, by chance, remembered the name of that funeral home?
I, again, I appreciate you letting me come into your home, yeah, especially yeah. so late. I'm, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna really, I hadn't really been. Well, I kind of slacked I, off myself. Well, I work, know. I work up there, and then I work for myself too, and that really takes a lot out of me. Yeah, you must be. You know, like I get off, man. Hell no, I'd be getting to that 10, 30, 11, you know. I don't know how you doing, guy. I didn't work, I didn't work today. <laughs> you know, I just, I just walked out and said, uh, I don't know how you doing. 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 I don't know I'll probably be back tomorrow afternoon, but uh, you probably won't be able to re reach me tomorrow. I, I think I'm going to be out of pocket. Okay. But, uh, I'll let you close the door before all them bugs come I'll, in there, guys. I'll try to sign it up sometime. Okay. Whenever I get in touch with me, I'll let you know. Thank you, Leonard. Okay. Appreciate it. for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.